the real nourishment happens in communion with the earth, in communion with each other, in communion with ceremony and ritual, in communion with deep sexual experiences, in communion with deep intimacies, whether it's you know man to man, woman to woman, whoever to whoever, body to body, that kind of nourishment. Once we actually experience it, we're like, oh, <laughs> shit, like, wow, I didn't even know that this was missing in my life. Like, I feel so alive. I feel so full. I feel so loved. Most men are malnourished in that way. They're, you know, they've got businesses and families, and they don't actually know how to receive from the world in a way that will make them more available, more full, more capable. We've got to get back to that place of really being able to receive life, not just enjoy. There's a big fucking difference between going into a mountain and enjoying the view versus receiving the life force. Welcome to Crazy Wisdom. I'm your host, Luke Antrup. Crazy Wisdom is our show about the wild, the unexpected and interesting places we find ourselves in during our quest to live a life of deeper meaning and deeper truth. My hope is with each conversation and each story, you discover a new part of yourself on your journey towards making the most out of this one wild and precious life. This is a Soulfire production. I am joined on this week's show by John Wineland. John is a teacher, a guide, and an author. He focuses in the realms of embodied intimacy, men's work, and leadership. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you, Luke. Good to be here, man. Yeah, it's so great to have you on this week's episode. You know, you're one of these guests who really understands this idea of crazy wisdom. Mm. And I thought just as a way of introducing you to our community, you might just share from your perspective, what is crazy wisdom? Why is it important and how does it live in you? Mm. Mm. Uh, I mean, this has shifted over the years, but I think for now, what I'm experiencing as crazy wisdom is this kind of alternate narrative of health, elevation, and, you know, uh, expression, healing, connection. And so to me, <laughs> crazy wisdom is really being simplified in terms of of practices that wouldn't seem to be helpful in certain areas. So for example, the crazy wisdom of breathing into your pelvic floor, right? And that that is a uh strategy for financial success, sexual success, <laughs> um, relational success. And, and just that one practice of, of like breathing into your pelvic floor, uh, breathing up from your pelvic floor, that is, um, that is a, a, a wisdom practice from ancient, an ancient wisdom practice that is now coming back and, and finding its way into modernity, technology, you know, this idea that uh, we can strategize our way into happiness and success. So I think crazy wisdom for me is really returning to simplicity, uh, the simplicity of, of feeling sensitivity, the simplicity of very um, easy practice, the simplicity of uh, listening. And, and that's kind of how, uh, you know, just listening to the transmissions that come through in, in those states, uh, I think is something that most people would not you know, take as a deep transformational strategy. Mm. 
Mm, yeah, indeed. Yeah. So when we think about crazy wisdom in its kind of classic sense, it's putting ourselves in situations or or with teachers or practices that are uncomfortable, that are intense, that challenge our sense of self in a way that leaves us a bit groundless at times, that leaves us maybe disoriented in the best possible way so that we can live a life of deeper purpose, of deeper truth, kind of a fully expressed existence, right? Yeah. And what I know about you, having worked with you and practiced with you many for many years now, is that you're very committed to this path of like challenging your own assumptions and your own habitual patterns, but also inviting others into that in a very deep way. Mm. So, mm. so I thought partly what we could talk about today just in this conversation is some of those practices and some of those experiences that kind of mm. jar us out of our, our habitual uh, thought patterns and our habitual way of, of believing who we are. How's that sound? Yeah, it sounds great. Uh, the one thing I will make, the one thing that the shift that I've I've kind of made in terms of in terms of this idea of practicing crazy wisdom, right, is that it can be much more simple and subtle. Right? It can be very just you know very, for example, the the pelvic floor breathing, you know, f- different forms of embodiment which aren't you know peak experience practices you know, like a seven minute ego eradicator or, you know, a 20 minute chi generator, those kinds of things, but are so profound and powerful um, and yet so easily forgotten. Um, so I think, I think I'm, 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 I'm rethinking some of this, right? Like how to access these states of crazy wisdom, how to access these states of transformation. It doesn't always have to be peak experiences. Although, like you, as you mentioned, I love this idea of going into very deep, uncomfortable practices as a men's teacher, especially because the masculine thrives on challenge, um, to, uh, to train the nervous system. I think that's what you, you part of what you're talking about, but I also think I also think we need to we need to accept the easy, um, beautiful, graceful wisdom of of learning how to breathe properly mm-hmm. all day long, right? Or learning how to feel our body properly all day long. And I think that um, I think that's kind of a, a new wrinkle to how I'm 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 coming at some of this. Mm, wonderful, yeah. This practice in particular, the pelvic breathing is is like very foundational for a lot of other things that we can do right if we can get a really deep breath it allows us to just metabolize stress in a different way it allows us to be much more grounded and more trustable to the world around us yes yeah for sure and to ground i mean mm-hmm. think about you know the practice i was doing with a client the other day was just breathing into the pelvic floor for 30 minutes and grounding accessing consciousness through the pelvic floor rather than accessing it you know through the core of the heart or through the through the mind which is what most of us do to what's it like to access consciousness how does it feel to access consciousness through the pelvic floor through the dantian and that just getting them to be to breathe into their pelvic floor to remember to breathe into their pelvic floor for 30 minutes was as challenging as as any practice i've i've given you know hmm. so it's you know it's it's we're, we're not wired to stay in the deepest parts of our body hmm. we have to learn that and why is that why aren't we why aren't we wired that way why do we find ourselves popping out i, th- I think because i think part of the last hundred years right has the you know modernity technology we've just kind of rather than being close to the earth in the soil especially over the last 20 30 years with the advent of the of the cell phone 
we're just more and more um, living in our heads, literally bringing our awareness to our heads. And there's not a lot of there's not a lot of ritual. There's not a lot of practice. Like you think about how many you know, stick with men, right? How many men were taught to hunt by their fathers 200, 300, 400 years ago? That's a very embodying, sensitizing practice to be out in the woods, feeling for animal, feeling changes in the wind. You know, that's been gone for last hundred so years for the most, I mean, I know, I know there's some traditions here and there's some men who to teach their sons to hunt. That's great. But those kinds of things have dissipated. And instead we've been on social media. We've been in this dopamine kind of um, dopamine driven strategy system for self fulfillment. And that is very head driven and not very embodiment driven. So I guess crazy wisdom these days is about getting off of, I would say getting off of social media because, you know, we all have to live somewhat on social media in, in the world to some degree, but, but, but adding this idea of deep grounding, you know, consistent breath, real, like what, what does real embodiment mean? as a strategy for living, as a strategy for success. And that I, that I think in and of itself is kind of a crazy wisdom idea. Mm, indeed, truly. I mean, if we really want to take this you know, to the extreme, we take it to where your book ends, right? Which is mm. making death an ally, right? Like, and what I know about you is like, you are a man that has a boldness in the way that you teach. There's an urgency in how you live and how you teach. and you know, I think about some of the deepest practices I've had with you have been about this idea of really feeling the end, writing our own obituary or meditating on death. And I'm just wondering if you could say a word or two about this. I mean, you, you're a man who has certainly made friends with death. And I'm just curious if you could say a few words about that as a practice, that as a way of snapping ourselves out of our shallow living. Yeah. One of the things I love to do, one of my favorite practices is to actually go out in nature and like spread my awareness around to feel everything that's dying from the trees to the animals, to the, you know, to, to literally like we avoid death because, you know, it's, it's an ending, right. And it's scary for us to look at, but one of the, one of the most relaxing practices that I, I, I use consistently is to literally feel everything that's dying feel the way that death is everywhere and we don't and and as a nervous system especially for those what i've seen with when i do this practice with people is how it calms their nervous system to just feel like oh there's an end that is death is very much a part of life and it is peaceful and it is nothingness and it you know who the fuck knows? Maybe it's maybe it's hellish. <laughs> who knows what's on the other side? I think it's probably not, but but just meditating on death, uh, meditating on death itself is a really powerful practice. And then, of course, asking yourself the question: What do I need to do before I die so that I can die complete? Um, is a great way. I mean, you know, even Stephen Covey had some version of this, and you know, this is a this is a very important masculine practice, but to really feel like if I was going to go in the next, let's say I had 10, 15, 20 years, however many years we have left, 30 years, um, what would I, what would I, what would I want to do, be, change, um, so that when I die, I could die complete. And then orienting your life to that, literally, because that is the thing 
that matters most. So at the, on your deathbed, you can reevaluate and be like, did I give it all? Did I love? Did I, you know, did I try to change my karma? Did I give to the world the way that I was called to give to the world? So that at the very end, you know, there's a sense of, of completion, uh, of mm. no regret. And, and most people aren't living that way. Most people aren't thinking about that. They're, they're tending to think towards, and again, this is to the crazy wisdom practice to really let the death, let death inform how you're living today is, you know, a beautiful, um, challenging, uh, discipline. Yeah, truly. Yeah. I mean, I think there's no greater motivator to live a life of purpose than embracing our own mortality. I mean, mm. it will, it will absolutely add fuel to any vision we might have. And I think it's, you know, it's very easy to, in this culture in particular, to be kind of removed from death and disconnected from it and to let it, uh, we, we don't have elders in our lives in the way that we used to. We don't have, it, it's, there's a separation where it's easy to just, um, to rest in comfort rather than feeling the inevitable and, and using that as fuel. Yeah. Well, the, the other piece that I think is really beautiful comes out of the Toltec shamanist tradition of Carlos Castaneda, which is if every act is connected to the possibility that it could be your last act before you die, how would you do that? So if you, if you were making love with your partner and you were treating it as if it was the last act before you died, how much more heart power, depth, appreciation, devotion, worship are you going to bring to that, right? Mm. Or the next time you play with your children, or the next time you write something for a book, or the next podcast, if this was the very last podcast we were going to do, if we thought <laughs> death is coming, man, <laughs> we'd probably, you know, go as deep as we we could um, in this. And so it, it's a death is a beautiful training um, experience and one that I hope more and more people, you know, latch on to. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Well, let's go as deep as we possibly can. Yeah. Just in case, man, <laughs> meteor might be coming. That's why we're here. <laughs> yeah. So you have a new book, your first mm -hmm. book. Yes. Is this your first book? It's my first book. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a really remarkable contribution to men's work and just written mostly for men or masculine identified people who are focused on leadership, leading in love, leading in life, and mm. um, just chock full of practices. And so congratulations on the new book. It's really, Thank it's you. really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. It's called From the Core. Mm -hmm. Which I want to connect to the practice we started with, right? People are like, why do you name it From the Core? And I'm like, because there is a, um, this capacity of breathing into your pelvic floor. It's the deepest part of your body. And if that's where you move from, live from, access consciousness from, step forward from, make love from, like if that's where you are living from, it's going to be a much deeper experience for you and others. So just to connect those two concepts, I think is important. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And you know, this book is is I've already given this out to several clients who I coach men. And, you know, I think it's it's just it's a wonderful framing around like masculine leadership. One of the primary kind of concepts here in, in your book is like the masculine grows through challenge, right? And the challenge of other men, the challenge of the feminine, that a masculine identified being 
or, or human will kind of rise to the occasion when confronted or challenged from a place of open heartedness. And I'm wondering if you could just say a bit more about right, like, right. you know, this, this concept that as men being challenged, maybe while uncomfortable, maybe the path towards the greatest expression of who we are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, th there's a huge caveat to that, right? Mm -hmm. Challenge a man or a masculine being from a place of closed heartedness. What you will get is defense mm -hmm. almost inevitably challenge a man from an open hearted place like where you're where you're where he or she they can feel your heart fully engaged in the challenge and you'll get an elevated response and it's really important for people who you know yes the masculine does grow by challenge but it does not he does not grow by attack per se. Um, and, and so it's really, it's really important for those because so many women have read my book and are giving it to their men and da, 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 And it's just important to say that like the open hearted point that you made is so crucial, which is why in men's work, right? First thing is you have men feel each other's hearts and then you have men give each other feedback and, and challenge each other. And once, once that bond has been established where I can feel your heart, you can feel my heart. We can say almost anything to each other. Yep. Yep. Right. I mean, you and I've been in circle together where that's, where that's happened. And so the masculine is craving uh, men in particular, I think are craving open hearted depth, open hearted mm -hmm. challenge, um, open hearted. You can do better than that, brother. Open hearted. You need to fucking look at your shadow here, brother. Open hearted. You know, you need to be more sensitive, brother. I mean, all, all those things, I think, I think men are not just, they don't just grow, but they're so malnourished in that area where they don't get that. It's, it's almost like they don't even know that they're missing something like a crucial nutrient in their life, in their world. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, if we take this concept kind of, again, in this show, mm -hmm. we, we, go, we go to the extremes. Mm, yeah. I, I want to paint a picture of, of a scene. I'm in a men's retreat with you that you're leading. And there's a group of about 30 men in a circle. Mm. And each man takes his turn to step into the center. And he walks around the circle as men are just pointing out what they perceive in the way that he is showing up in a kind of an inauthentic or in a projected manner. Or habitual. Or habitual, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And as they're walking around the circle, men are throwing phrases and masks and descriptors of how this man appears to be habitually moving, talking. Mm -hmm. And my God, <laughs> is this a is this a fucking cutting practice to be unmasked in such a an intense way? And so we end up with phrases, and and this is I believe you call this the persona practice, yeah, right? Persona. Work, so yeah. I will, I will share mine reluctantly, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the, the, the one that I came out with that these men kind of bestowed upon me was seductive emu. <laughs> and it's, it's, uh, you know, it just cuts to the heart of how, when I'm not necessarily at my best self or just in a way of my, yeah, my habitual patterns, how I show up with kind of a puff chest and kind of hook people into my, you know, I, I don't know. It's sometimes it's seductive. Sometimes it's just straight charming, right? Mm -hmm, How I use right. my charm as a way to um, keep just a subtle distance and a little bit of control the people around me. Yeah. And what a 
painfully glorious way to be seen and to be challenged by a group yeah. of men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Painfully glorious. Yeah. You know, I'm, I, well, first of all, I learned that, I learned that practice from Teo Alfaro who comes out of the, you know, the Toltec shamanist tradition that we talked about. Right. And, and I've, I've, I've adjusted it for the men's work that I do, but I think that that is a perfect example of it's both like you said, painful and glorious to be seen and to be unmasked, stripped, right? Mm -hmm. So some guys are in that circle for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you know what I mean? 15 minutes to be, but to be stripped of all of the armor that you bring to the world by a group of men, you know, with humor and love. I mean, it, it really, it's a, it's a serious practice, man. Would you mind sharing your persona name? Yeah, yeah. My persona name is Bleeding Valentine, and and it was very much given to me by you know by what a men's group I was in for eight years, and uh, really, uh, yeah, really hits how I use my heart to both and and personas are a gift, right? Like your seductive emu is a gift in a certain <laughs> way, right? He's like a Pied Piper, and he's very trustable and playful and warm and. Bleeding Valentine is both my, the way that I use my heart to heal and feel, but also the way I use my heart to manipulate, defend all the things, you know, all the shadow things. So the, the whole idea of persona work is that you can't escape your persona. It's not something to overcome. It's just something to get conscious of. And so that process of discovering a persona name um, is, is so brutal so that all of a sudden, like out of the ethers, the name just pops up after this 20, 30 minutes. It's a very, and you, you know, I, I, I know you chose that practice because it is such a quintessential crazy wisdom mm -hmm. idea to right. step into a circle like that. Are there any other kind of persona names that without obviously naming real names that, that you find particularly poignant oh, or man. descriptive? We've had some beautiful ones. We've had like uh, armored Lederhosen. <laughs> we've had, we've had, yeah, we've had manicured mirage. We've had uh, Hollywood Jesus. Uh, we've had cat, catwalk Garbo. A good friend of mine, Rich, is named Catwalk Garbo. I think he shared that a few times. And yeah. and and what these do is they really do unmask and unearth the thing that the world has sees in you, but that no one's actually had the balls to call you out on. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's a, I'm glad you brought that practice up. That's such an interesting one to, to, to stick into this conversation. Right. Maybe the most kind of cutting one I, I heard was friend request. Right? Friend it's, request. Oh, yeah. yeah. It took him about six months to like really get that one. But this is the thing. He gets it now. And now he's able to bring that, that awareness like, oh, where am I being friend request here? Mm -hmm. There was a new one. There was one that came out. Uh, I just did a batch of these a couple months ago. Dial tone was one. Um, don't call me mall cop. <laughs> was another. They come out of nowhere and they're so beautifully humorous and brutal that it, you know it just. Yeah, I love this. Mommy, part. mommy's little messiah. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a very. Yeah. That's that actually is the essence of this practice. I think these are ways to kind of pop the ego structure so that we can kind of digest and expand around these habitual patterns where we where we may have closure. There's some other practices that I've been in with you. So do you, for those that don't know your work, I think most people listening to this will, but those yeah. that don't know your work, you, you work a lot in the realms of embodied intimacy, um, helping people kind of create an arc of polarity, masculine, feminine polarity, so that there is 
deeper capacity to love and be loved. And we often will be in retreat uh, and in, in trainings where we're practicing with others in kind of creating this arc, right? So one of the one of the kind of juiciest examples of this that I've found is is the concept of embodying our sexual taboo, right? So mm-hmm. the there are things that we all have closure around sexually that we maybe feel a bit nauseous about, but we still have some little tingle in us about. And so much life energy and chi and vitality and capacity to love and be loved is wrapped up in these in these taboos. Yeah. And I'm just wondering if you would be willing to just say a few words about like the power of of kind of capturing that energy back from a sexual taboo and how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah, it well it's the same concept as capturing the energy from a shadow, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, and and there's that's another practice we do a lot of is going into embodying shadow and you could think of taboo, you know, taboos are born from the way that we're introduced into our sexuality. It could be by being spanked. It could be by, you know, like I remember I remember in the 70s I was watching uh, a show called Petticoat Junction. I must have been 5 or 6 or something. And one of the one of the shows was about like literally it shows these women like hanging their petticoats. They're like, you know, 1880 petticoats over a, a shower wall. And it just imprinted in me and my <laughs> love of lingerie and, and certain things was born. And so we have no control over how, how we're sexualized as kids. And so sometimes that it gets buried under walls of shame and, you know, social pressures and um, all kinds of stuff. You get caught masturbating and then all of a sudden you, there's this wound around, you know, you know, being seen. Some people like to be humiliated, right? And most of these, some people like to dominate. And, and most of the taboos actually, once you strip away the knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, that's gross or oh, that should, you know, nobody should, you know, and you get to the, you get to the texture. There's two questions that I think are important in taboo. A, what's the nourishment you're getting from your taboo about being abducted by a dozen cheerleaders? what's the what are you what's the nourishment you're getting from that or or i see on like some of the some of the women's taboos are crazy crazy dark abduction scenes and multiple partner scenes and all kinds of stuff but there's a nourishment that the nervous system is craving that's not happening through our basic sexual practices and that nourishment is usually quite pure to be dominated to be pushed into surrender, to be washed with energy, to be led in a certain way, to be um, taken deeper than you can take yourself. That nourishment is very crave, I guess, you know, and again, this is, this is a big piece is malnourishment. And then the second part of the taboo that gets unearthed in the practice that I do is who would you have to be to make that scene or that practice sacred? Mm. Who would you have to be in order to do that? What would you have to embody? What traits would you have to embody? And what we inevitably find is that those traits that your taboo unlocks and unleashes are also traits that the world is craving from you. Mm-hmm. You know, like width, deep presence, ground, capacity to feel multiple people at once, um, capacity to surrender. All of those things are 
traits that the world will often go like, and you've seen this in workshops, I'll be mm-hmm. like, does this feel good on them? And everybody else will be going, yeah, that feels really good on them. So the taboo is, a, is like, like a lot of other shadow type work helps to unlock new possibilities for sexual expression, new possibilities for personal expression. And it's a great, it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful practice. Do not try this at home. And I would also say like, it's, it's important to understand in the taboo world, it's not, the taboos are not meant to be acted out. That's right. You're not meant to go seduce a bunch of co-eds or get abducted, plan an abduction. You know what I mean? But they're not meant to be acted out, but they are access points to a deeper part of ourself that doesn't need to be filled with shame and guilt. And once we can shed that, it just is a whole new access point to deep sexual practice and experience. Right. So using kind of visualization and imagination in the mind's eye, we can kind of see and feel these scenes of taboo. Mm. But then the practice is actually to feel into the energy and the texture beneath the scene that's being acted out, right? And yeah. find the, the energetic quality that exists that then we can move freely through the body yeah. that, that will liberate some part of the heart that is closed, some part of the sexual body that, that has kinks in it. And in that liberation, we become much more available for love and creativity and things moving through us. Yeah, and, and just deeper, deeper sexual expression, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah, that's very well put. That's a very apt way to describe it. And most people are... I'd say 99 out of 100 are, no matter how great their sex life is, it, they're a yes <laughs> to deeper sexual expression uh, because mm-hmm. an innate part of us knows that as we're more expressed sexually, somehow we're more expressed in the world, mm-hmm. right? It, it, there's a link that most people, it's not just about the sex. It's about being available for love and for feeling and for sensitivity and for expression in the world, which is why you know, these practices become such powerful tools of transformation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the concept of like how we fuck is how we live, how we lead, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's in this sense, it's like, this is the, actually Kendra was on last week's show, Kendra Kunoff, who John teaches with. So for those that are enjoying this conversation, definitely go back and listen to the episode with Kendra. Mm. In that that episode, we talk a bit about like, when you add erotic energy uh, to any kind of, healing endeavor or endeavor of expressing ourselves, mm-hmm. it, it just amplifies things in a way because it's, I mean, there's just so much vital life force energy in that, that eroticism, healing through eroticism touches places in the body mind that other things can simply not touch, right? Years of therapy, years of yogic practice. Yeah. It, it, it's like putting an, like pushing the button of the amplifier, right? And so it's like an amplification of cleansing, of clearing, of opening, of de-kinking, you know, like you were talking about, de-kinking, that center column that gets so clogged with junk and trauma and stress and all those stuff. Yeah, sexual energy as a healing modality is, and I think we're really now just starting to coming out of the 500 some odd years of puritanical domination. We're just now really starting to rediscover what ancient tantrics in India, in China, you know, even in, in Europe, you know, the, the the mystics of Europe and, and Middle East are, have known for, you know, thousands and thousands of years. We're, we're now starting to realize that, wow, sexual healing is a thing. And it really does address all of these various, um, let's call it 
pathologies, illnesses, you know, that we're working through. Yeah, absolutely. And and not meant to necessarily replace the psychotherapeutic approach, but meant no, to, to supplement. Yeah, it's a different path. It's a different yeah. healing. But the two work beautifully together, exactly. obviously, right? I mean, exactly. the two work beautifully. You know, of course, you know, being able to talk about and go into certain certain psychological modalities are very, it's very powerful, but you've seen the way to clear stuff oftentimes mm-hmm. involves moving very deep energies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just think about my own life over the last five years or so and going really deep in this realm with you and others around sexual healing, you know, really just what a different human I am. I feel like I, I've completely remade myself in a certain way through through cleaning out so much deep debris. And this is, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy that started psychotherapy when I was like 12 years old yeah, and, yeah. and I've had a therapist for most of that time. <laughs> There's something about yeah. the kind of yogic path of moving subtle energies through the system in communion with another or others that uh, takes us to such deep places in our body mind that yeah. is incredibly healing because of the relational piece and because of the kind of erotic energy. Well, the, the one piece that's so crucial there for people to get is that this is, that, that this is all heart activated. Mm-hmm. Right, like without without the the texture of the heart, the energy of the heart, then it's just kind of base sexuality. It's which is you know, which in and of itself, I don't want to make wrong, but it's it doesn't have the healing capacity that we're talking about now. There has to be a deep heart awareness, a deep heart connection to the to that flow of sexual energy to those practices, and that's what we work on a lot in in, in the workshops, of course. So without that heart energy. It can be, especially the taboo work, can be abusive and manipulative and and horrible. So, so the heart is this the key. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. more than the genitals. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, an expression that you've used several times in this interview, it's woven throughout your entire book and, and just in the way that you teach, is this concept of nourishment. Mm-hmm. I, I'd love to just ask you to, to, if you be willing to, just kind of frame. You talk about like how malnourished men are, mm-hmm. you, um, that there's certain nutrients underneath the, the taboo and just this concept of like energetic nutrition. And um, I know for you, part of this is like, and for me very much so, like part of this is we get nourishment from the land, from the earth. Um, but I'm wondering if you would say say a few words just about this idea of like energetic nourishment. Yeah, yeah. Well, to give a nod to Kendra, like she's the one who actually first coined that phrase. And I started to think like, wow, that's so brilliant. Like, yeah, the nourishment, the, the human experience, the human experience is malnourishment <laughs> for the modern human experience for the most part. So uh, yeah, praise be to Kendra and her mm-hmm. witchy queen brilliance. Um, <laughs> yeah. So what we've done over the last 20 years, especially is we've replaced thanks to the tech giants and the algorithms that make this so easy, is we've replaced these kind of quick dopamine hits for our deeper nourishment. It's really gotten chronic in the last 20 years to the point, uh, and Jamie Wheel makes this point in his book, is that our, our perception of reality starts to get warped because we, we are taking, we are getting these dopamine squirts in very different ways than we've ever done. Right, so we've we've tricked ourselves into thinking that that's nourishment. <laughs> you know, scrolling. How many how many guys you know like call restings? You know, scrolling through Reddit 
or I'm speaking of men in particular, but I'm sure women do this too, um, or scrolling through Instagram or Facebook. And so we've kind of taken that as a bit of nourishment and it's, it's actually warping our thinking, moving us out of our bodies. And so what I think people are going to start to recognize, some of them are already, is that the real nourishment happens in communion with the earth, in communion with each other, in communion with ceremony and ritual, in communion with deep sexual experiences, in communion with deep intimacies, whether it's you know man to man, woman to woman, whoever to whoever, body to body, um, and that that kind of that kind of nourishment. Once we actually experience it, we're like, oh <laughs> shit! Like wow, I didn't even know that this was missing in my life. Like I feel so alive. I feel so full. I feel so loved. And one of the reasons why I think people like you, for example, you know, keep coming back to workshops for years and, and, and other people is because in those practice spheres, there's such a deep meeting of needs. Mm-hmm. You get to practice being fully expressed while being seen in love. You get to practice receiving love in very deep ways. You get to practice running sexual energy. You get to practice, you know, full self-expression. You get to practice holding others express. Is there's just like a a deep, deep need meeting that happens um, in these practice communities that is so nourishing. People are like, oh shit, like, wow, I didn't know that. That was my experience in my first workshop with my teacher. It was like, I didn't even know this was a thing. And yet I feel so great. And I, I like, it's a whole new world of possibility that, you know, 14 years later, I'm like, wow, <laughs> still here. Yeah. Yeah. And we're still just getting started. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there, there's a way in which it, just the practice of allowing, especially as, a, as men, like allowing love in or mm-hmm. allowing um, ourselves to be seen in a deep way, mm-hmm. it avails ourselves and opens up, kind of cracks open the body mind in a way that um, more of life can be allowed in. Yeah. So yeah. when I find myself, I've, I've always had a, uh, for my whole life, I've needed time in the woods, time outside, time mm-hmm. just f- uh, freely roaming the earth, the natural world. Mm-hmm. But as I've gone deeper into these practices of like cracking open the body mind and and the way that the earth speaks to me, the way that these nutrients pierce my heart and my body and my essence is so much deeper than it was, you know. 20 years ago when I was go for a walk in the woods with my, you know, my college buddies. Yeah. And there's a way in which the the earth will speak to us in in a deeper way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, when we make our body more sensitive to other, right. To relational experience. Now, when we step out into the earth, I mean, you could think of your root chakra, the base of your body, your sacrum um, becomes much more open and sitting on a rock you know, yeah, I live part-time in Sedona, like sitting on a rock in Sedona, I can literally feel the nourishment of the earth just come up from the rock into my sacrum, into my spine. And I just sit there. And part of what I think men struggle with specifically is to put themselves in position to receive life force, the feminine, right? Mm-hmm. Life force and the feminine, same thing. Life force from from your feminine partner, life force from your community, life force from nature, life force from the ocean, from the mountain from a waterfall right you know we went we went to yosemite a few months back. i mean it's just like the the amount of life force available 
And I think most men in particular, I'm speaking to, and I make this point in the book a lot, most men are malnourished in that way. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they've got businesses and families and they don't actually know how to receive from the world in a way that will make them more available, more full, more capable. So yeah, yeah. And, I'm, and I love the point that, that embodiment work in general sensitizes and makes your body much more uh, receptive to all of the beautiful life force that's there. Like the world hasn't changed really in the last hundred, I mean, we could say climate change, but the forces of nature and these these nur- God-given nourishments, if you want to talk about it, God is mm-hmm. God-given nourishments have been here. What's changed is our ability to receive them, to work mm-hmm. with them, to dance with them, to fuck on them, all of that. And we have to, we have to get back. If we're going to make it over the next 500,000 years, we've got to get back to that place of really being able to receive life, not just Mm. enjoy. There's a big fucking difference between going into a mountain and enjoying the view versus receiving the life force. And, and men in particular, but women too, really need that in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. John Wineland. Yeah, this is fun, man. Yeah. <laughs> this is fun. Yeah. If people want to, how do they find you? How do they find your book? And if they want to know more about you? Yeah. Uh, JohnWineland.com, just my name. They can find me on Instagram. Same thing. Uh, there's a few fake John Winelands out there, but I think we've gotten rid of most of them. Um, <laughs> but, but everything's on the website. Uh, the virtual workshop is really fun too. The virtual workshop is a collection of, of, I'm out of hundreds of hours of content uh, from workshops over the last seven, eight, nine years, and tons of these practices that Luke's talking about. Uh, maybe not as deep as some of them. We he he actually because he's been in the work, he chose two of the deeper ones to get into. Mm-hmm. But tons of practices that are just push and play practices to get into embodiment practice. Uh, so the virtual workshop is a great place to uh, to jump into. I highly recommend it. It's it's on John's website. And yeah, I mean, it's organized where some days I may go in and, and feel like I need to do a feminine practice today. Like my body wants to move. I want to feel energy moving through my body. So I find a feminine practice. Most days I want something more grounding, masculine embodiment practice. So they're kind of organized by that. And then there are some partner practices where if you want to practice with your sweetie or a practice partner, you can be guided while kind of in communion with another. And it's just a really, really great uh, resource to continue to just move energy through our body and deepen our capacity to love and be loved. So yeah, yeah. From the comfort of your own home. Yeah, exactly. So the book is from the core. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend it. it's on uh, how do people get that Amazon or uh, Amazon audible Barnes and Noble. Um, yeah, <laughs> we'll throw links into the show notes so people can click through if they wish. Yeah. Thank you so much, John, for joining us today. Yeah, it's great to great to be here, Luke. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Crazy Wisdom. If you like what you heard, please do rate and review the show on whatever platform you listen. This helps new people find the show. And maybe more importantly, it helps us grow our Crazy Wisdom community. My hope for you is between now and the next time you listen, that you try one new thing, one thing that would help you live a life of deeper purpose, deeper meaning, a life of greater love. And maybe that one thing is a little different, a little odd, a little intense, perhaps even a little crazy. 